The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Today, expert knowledge is so highly valued that we learn to lead first as the expert whose mastery of the details helps teams solve problems. Eventually, as your leadership role expands, expert leaders find themselves in a role where others know more. Details are no longer so accessible, and decisions are made without a full understanding. Welcome to Out of the Comfort Zone with Dr. Wanda Wallace. It's time to find out how to make the transformation smooth and flawless. Now, here is Dr. Wanda Wallace. Welcome to the show. I'm Wanda Wallace, and today we have a very interesting topic, an unusual one. I'm going to talk about storytelling. Now, I know that that's an unusual topic for most people who are thinking about leadership, but I want you to hang with us for a minute. Let me explain why I think it's an incredibly powerful topic um, and far more skill than we've ever given credit for. I have long believed that one of the secrets of leadership is really the power of telling stories and ensuring that the right stories are told. Um, And let me explain why I believe this. Um, Every time I talk with people in a team or in an organization, they're going to tell stories about what's happened in the past, about who gets promoted, about who got in trouble once, about what's unacceptable or acceptable behavior. And those stories always convey the unwritten rules about how things are done around here. In effect, they carry the culture. So if you're trying to alter a culture or trying to establish a culture, you have to pay attention to the stories that are told and ensure that even better stories are told. Now, I happen to have a particular love for this topic because it's a bit of my original academic research. I have a long, several publications in the area of oral traditions, storytelling, in fact. And I can tell you from that research that as human beings, we remember stories. We remember songs. We remember stories. I actually fundamentally believe we're kind of wired to tell and retell stories. I also know from my days way back teaching um, MBAs that people always remembered the stories I told. They may remember nothing else, but they would remember the stories. used to irritate me until I decided that what I would do is just make sure that the story conveyed the point I wanted to illustrate, and we were off and running. And it's still true today in all of my speaking engagements. People will come up to me years after the fact and say, hey, the thing I remember was this story you told about. So I'm a believer. Now, the fun part about all of this is that with me today is Mitch Ditkoff, who's co-founder and president of Idea Champions, an innovations consulting company. He's a writer, so he's an author of books like Awake at the Wheel, and he's a regular contributor on the Huffington Post. More importantly, Mitch has gotten the gospel on storytelling, and his latest book is called Storytelling at Work, How Moments of Truth on the Job Reveal the Real Business of Life. So with that, we're going to focus first on why this all matters, how do you learn to do more about it, and how can you drive your culture? So Mitch, welcome to the show. 
Thank you, Wanda. And what a great introduction. I think I should interview you. <laughs> Fantastic um, start. Back in 1990-something or other, which we won't mention, I remember arguing with a leading academic at the time on leadership that we were not focusing enough on stories and that we should look at leadership as storytelling. Now, he got excited about that idea, and unfortunately, I went off to do other things and never did the work, but I think it would have been fascinating. So, Mitch, forget my opinion. Why do you now believe that stories are so powerful inside organizations? Well, uh, much for many of the reasons that you cited as you opened this uh, conversation, they carry the culture. And embedded in the stories uh, is the hidden and unexpressed insight, wisdom, and meaning of the people who do the work. The stories are the carrier, they are the conveyor of collective brilliance but often go unexpressed. They often are buried, and when unexpressed, they, they become inert and useless. So stories are a way to share knowledge, share insight, share wisdom. They definitely cut through the clutter of all that background noise. Uh, we are an ADD or ADHD-addicted culture. People are late for a very important date, and yet we keep laying data and information and statistics and PowerPoint shows on each other to make our case, to build our case, to transfer some kind of meaning or, or powerful message, but that stuff rarely sticks. As you noted, story sticks. It builds trust. People want to know who they're working with. Who is that person I'm collaborating with? Who is that teammate? When a person tells their story or tells a story, it becomes revelatory and trust happens naturally. And also stories spread. They become viral. You tell one story and guess what? That person tells it to two. That two tells it to four, especially if it's a good and memorable story. So, uh, and lastly, it's a way to inspire action and behavior change because the stories speak to the emotions. They speak to the heart of people, not just the mind. And in order for change to happen and for people to do something differently, they need to be engaged, involved, and emotionally participating. And stories, stories accomplish that goal. All right, so let's come back to this. Now, you make a lot of points in there that I think are really powerful. Um, one is that stories carry the collective wisdom that's often unexpressed. And I agree with you. We have layered so much content on top of content, on top of content. In fact, that's part of the theme of the show is that more content isn't necessarily what's going to help you lead, get you started, but help you lead. I want to go to this notion about stories as a way of building trust. Explain more how you see that working. Well, a story is a personal narrative for the most part. There's two kinds of stories that can be told. There's one that you might cite as the uh, classic teaching stories, the, for example, Sufi stories or Zen stories or the stories of any spiritual tradition that have been spoken of for centuries uh, are classic and metaphorical and allegorical in, in content. But there's another kind of story on the flip side of that coin, and that's the personal revelatory story where someone is coming out of the closet Someone is stepping up to the plate 
and they are sharing something important and meaningful and personable in the form of a story about themselves. And when a person does that, that begins or begets the process of being trusted by another because that other person gets to see and feel and hear who you are, what matters to you, what you value, what your principles are. And when that stuff is on the table, uh, it, it, it begins, it sparks a sense of connectivity one to the other, and that's at the root of trust. Without that, there is no trust. We're just parallel play. We're passing people in the hallway. They've got a title. They've got a role. They've got a resume, but we don't know who they are. We want to know who they are, and how we get to know who they are is by the stories they tell. Okay, so I believe, I think as you just said, that that trust between two people in an organizational context, not in a private context, is really driven because we connect at a human level. And connect at a human level means I can relate to you. I see something of me in you, and it's emotional. Without emotions, there isn't any connection. And what you're saying is that... The stories carry the emotion, they carry the human connection, and they carry what I call the affinity, the thing I can see of myself in you. Absolutely. And, and they also carry uh, fragility and vulnerability. Uh-huh. Because in the telling of the stories, at least the story that's told in a genuine way, the storyteller is willing to reveal... Um, that which is not necessarily superhero-like qualities. That person becomes accessible to the other. They're, they're felt, they're, they're seen, they're heard, and it becomes a story for all of us, not just a story of superiority or even a story of victory or success because some of the most meaningful stories are stories of struggle and trial and failure, and those stories definitely build trust and connection. Okay, so that's interesting. So I love this word vulnerability. Um, I follow Brene Brown's research on this one. There are many others who've done, but I really like her work as well. And this notion that the only way to have a real relationship is to be willing to be a bit vulnerable. Now, a bit, because how much vulnerability I can show in a corporate environment versus my private life might well be slightly different degrees, but the stories say I'm less than perfect. It's not I'm telling a story about a hero. I'm telling a story about a struggle, a challenge, an obstacle. Absolutely, and And leaders who are willing to walk that road and not to pose or to posture as a flawless, perfect human being that the people that report to them are aspiring to become like. If the, if the leader can uh, reveal some of his or her vulnerability or rites of passage, what they did to, to go through the maze and the struggle to get to a positive outcome, that becomes extremely empowering for people who, who are looking to that leader for a sense of, of humanity, not just perfection. Yeah, sense of humanity. One of the things that I do when I'm running classes and we're doing leadership um, topics, I often have a panel of two or three senior leaders come in, and I will ask them to tell me a story of success, you know, sort of the career turning points, but I always like to get them to tell me a story of a failure. 
Tell me about something that didn't work and how did you deal with it? And I find that those are the stories the audience really relates to and are amazed by. And that's when they'll begin to say, wow, I, that person was very open. Um, I really liked them. I really related to them. I really understood them. And it's about the willingness to discuss things that don't go well. Absolutely, and, and if you deconstruct Wanda, the the uh, presentations or the speeches of really, really good presenters, they usually start their talk with a story, and the really powerful ones, at least the ones who, who I connect with, often uh, will tell a story that reveals something of um, their own struggle or a moment where they were not... Uh, uh, perfect in their performance or their execution. And that you can hear and feel a collective sigh of relief in the audience because people now can connect, relate to, and they trust that speaker way more than if that speaker was about to uh, go down the road of evangelizing how great they are. I'm the expert and you're not. That's why you're listening to me. Part of why storytelling matters is that creates a sense of possibility, and it also creates a sense of listening. The biggest obstacle, and the work that I do is primarily in the, in the realm of creative thinking and innovation. The biggest challenge I have, and many of my peers and many of the people in my field, is to gather the attention of the people in the audience or in the room to get them present and accounted for because you can't lead, you can't facilitate, you can't guide, you can't serve people or, who are distracted. And so how do you gather the attention? How do you marshal forces in a room of very different kinds of people? One way to do that, and it's not the only way, but one way to do that is via storytelling. When you tell a story and that story is well-crafted and well-spoken and relevant to that group and has an outcome and a resolution and a meaning, people sit up, they take notice, they lean forward. You can, you can almost you know, metaphorically see a Red Sea part because people now have shown up in that room. And then you have a platform, you have a beginning to begin to do whatever the work is. The story opens the door. And then periodically throughout the day, or even if it's just a keynote or a speech, you can return to a story to make yet another point and reclaim that attention in a powerful way. Okay, so it's an attention gatherer. Now, I want to go on to talk about some practical examples of how we use this in a team. But before I do that, I just want to make the comment that in my experience, there are some cultures in the world where people tend to believe showing vulnerability is not so okay. And it's all a matter of degree, I think, because I find leaders in those countries are as willing to tell stories of mistakes and setback as anybody else, and it has the same impact. But it doesn't, um, it doesn't always... You, you don't tell the magnitude of it sometimes in some store, in some cultures and others. Okay, so Mitch, three minutes before we take a break. Give me a practical example. Let's say we got a team that's coming together, and I want to create trust among the people that are coming together in that team. How would I practically use storytelling to build that team? 
Well, I, I can tell you what I do, um, and each person is going to interpret that question in a slightly different way. But I'd, I'd say fundamentally, the person who wants to help establish trust should have a story already in mind, a story that they are passionate about, that they care about, that they know the people in that room are going to resonate with because the story itself and the punchline, if you will, or the purpose or the resolution of the story has great relevance to who they are and what they're doing. So it it requires uh, some forethought. You don't want to be telling uh, a random, trivial story that people are going to roll their eyes and go, what the heck was that about? I know that when I work with new groups of people, I often begin with a story of how uh, my company got its biggest client in its early startup days, and we did it by teaching the head of training and development at AT&T how to juggle in the middle of a big conference, uh, one of these ASTD uh, you know, consulting uh, meet client the meeting spaces and uh, this man had been trying to learn for 25 years he had never learned to juggle he came to our booth he asked us what we were doing there was a group of people that were juggling I looked at him and said what does it look like he said juggling I said yes would you like to learn he paused and he looked at me and he said I've been trying to learn for 25 years if you can teach me to juggle pause you have my attention Then he looked at his watch, and he says, I have five minutes. So we had five minutes to teach a man something he hadn't accomplished in a quarter of a century. And to cut to the chase, I'll give you the short story here, we taught the man in five minutes. His mind was so blown that he gave us his card. He said, call me on Monday. I still don't know what you do, but I know you're not a juggling company. You have my attention. And then we called him on Monday, and we followed the Olympic Road, and as it turns out, the happy ending was AT&T. At that time, we uh, was going through deregulation. They were no longer a monopoly. They needed a creative thinking training, and they chose my company's creative thinking training only because we taught him to do something in five minutes that he had never before mastered. So I tell that story in a slightly longer form to people in the room, And it's really a placeholder for what risk are you willing to take, folks? What are you willing to do differently? What unusual, out-of-the-box, or non-traditional action can you take to get the attention of somebody who you need to be able to communicate your value to? And then I deconstruct the story and actually uh, pull out 10 different learning points on the PowerPoint (laughs) slide and have people pair up and talk with each other. They pick the one point that's most relevant to them, and they're off to the races. So saying to people, you need to take more risks, is a prescriptive, you know, un- unworkable meme that doesn't really have impact. But when I tell the story of a risk that I took and the value and the impact and the outcome it had, that then sparks their own thinking process. It gets their own wheels spinning, and they make the translation back to where they are at their work in their company, and it becomes a practical bridge over which they walk, and now they're in the realm of, hey, I too can take a risk. 
I love it. So as a leader, that gives me a really clear example. I want my team to do something. I need to tell a story about a time I have done something like that. I use that story to inspire them, engage them, get their attention. And then I ask them to reflect on what that might mean in their own lives. I like it. Absolutely. Absolutely. We're going to take a break. With me today is Mitch Didkoff from Idea Champions. The book is Storytelling at Work, How Moments of Truth on the Job Reveal the Real Business of Life. Um, And I can tell you that the book is chocked full of examples exactly like Mitch just told. When we come back, we're going to get a little more practical about some other ways in which you can alter culture with the kind of stories that you use. We'll be right back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. If you want more information on the coaching and seminars we offer, go to our website at www.leadershipforuminc.com. If you are interested in finding out more, you can also purchase a copy of the forthcoming book or any of Dr. Wallace's current books by clicking on the links under the resources tab on our website at www.leadershipforuminc.com. You're also sure to find some handy links, videos, and more to help you create a winning strategy for your organization. Leadership Forum, Inc., helping organizations get it and keep it. Join Patricia Raskin, the host of Positive Living on VoiceAmerica.com, Monday, 11 Pacific. This program brings you practical and inspiring principles for living a more authentic, engaging, and passionate life. Patricia's guests will give you a formula for connecting, giving, forgiving, and miraculous living. So tune in and call to Positive Living, Mondays at 11 Pacific time, right here on VoiceAmerica.com. comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Tune in to the soul of enterprise, business in the knowledge economy with co-hosts Ron Baker and Ed Klass. Ron and Ed will show you how to recognize that wealth is created by intellectual capital. It's all in the possibilities that we can create and that are created for us. These possibilities are destined to be discovered by human imagination and through the service of others, creating a brighter future for all of us. The Soul of Enterprise is heard live every Friday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Business Channel and simulcast at the same time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now, toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Out of the Comfort Zone. To reach Dr. Wanda Wallace or her guest, Call into the program at 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to wanda.wallace at leadershipforuminc.com. Now, back to Out of the Comfort Zone. Welcome back. 
With me today is Mitch Didkoff from Idea Champions, an innovations consulting company and author of several books like Awake at the Wheel and a regular contributor to the Huffington Post. Now, one of the interesting things about Mitch is that most people think that he's an organizational psychologist and actually his graduate school education is in poetry. That is an interesting story in and of itself. I recommend you read his book and you'll understand how that came to be. But the topic is storytelling and the book is Storytelling at Work, How Moments of Truth on the job, reveal the real business of life. Now, this is an odd topic for leadership, but Mitch and I have just been talking about why stories matter so much. And just to summarize that, stories are how we really connect to each other as human beings, particularly in the story when we show a vulnerable component of ourselves, a less than perfect part. Stories are memorable. People remember them and therefore retell them and retell them and retell them, and they become almost a bit of folklore, viral, if you will. They grab your attention. I distinctly remember watching um, a coach talking to an audience, 500 people standing there. He's an icon and he'd lost everybody's attention and he just told a story and in a drop of a second he had everybody on the edge of their seat and went right back to his point. So stories are memorable, they get attention and more importantly they convey um, the wisdom of the culture. Excuse me. So let's focus on this whole notion of using stories to change a culture. Do you think it's possible, Mitch? I do think it's possible. I absolutely think it's possible. Otherwise, I wouldn't be on this call with you or have written the book. It absolutely is possible. It's not only possible, it's necessary. Every company, every family, every society, every city, indeed the whole world is a culture. And the culture needs to and has to change if we're going to survive in a way that's going to be meaningful and significant on this planet. As you can see, all the stuff that's going down that is less than ideal, there's a story that's being told, a story of greed, a story of corruption, a story of devastation and destruction and terrorism. You know, the the operational story that's out there that the media picks up on is a lot of darkness and despair. There's other stories that are also going on, and those don't always get spoken. It's the same thing in an organization. So, yes, I do believe story can change culture, but to begin with, let me just briefly speak about culture. You know, what is a culture? Uh, a simple definition is a collective way of thinking, believing, behaving, and working. You get a group of people together, and they establish a kind of tonality, a vibe, uh, a feeling uh, to the place. And when you walk in, you can feel it. It has taken years, sometimes decades, for that culture to form. It is not easy to change a culture. They they are long-winded processes. So to change a culture, you need to ask yourself, you know, what are the ways in which you can have an impact? If, if you think about what it takes for one individual to change, a person who wants to drop five pounds or quit smoking, that is difficult. If you take 100 or 1,000 or 10,000 people in the culture and try to change that entity, well, the degree of difficulty goes up quite a lot. So you go, well, what? What are our options? How do we get in? How do we get access? How do we shift? Uh, A leader could give a pep talk. A leader could give a harangue people or lead by fear or threaten people, uh, which are fairly standard, you know, uh, uh, ways of operating. And those have no real impact. 
So what needs to change is the story, and the story is what drives the organization. There's a great, and you mentioned poetry earlier in this, in this segment, there's a great quote from a, a woman named Muriel Rukeyser, who said, a poet, who said, the world is not made of atoms. The world is made of stories. And that is true for every organization on planet Earth. If you go back to the early days of that company and you find the young entrepreneurs, the Steve Jobs and Wozniak, the Hewlett and Packard or whomever, those stories of the early startup days, those fascinating days where people were on fire with possibility, were driven from love and passion, not, not by money. Those stories, when told and retold, and they often are, ignite that same feeling in people 10, 20, 30 years down the road that may have lost touch with that quality, that startup quality. And now you just have an organization of people going through the motions, turning the widgets and following the bureaucracy, but the heart and soul of that company has been leached out of it because people have lost touch with the story of what the whole deal is all about. So really good leaders or good politicians or good parents are telling those primal stories or, or spiritual leaders are telling those essence stories that have embedded within them the DNA of that culture. And the DNA might be about passion. It might be about creativity. It might be about purpose. But those are the big issues that have to be ignited and reignited. And story is a way to fan the flames of those big Maha items. And people need that. They need it to thrive. They need, need it to want to get out of the bed in the morning and show up one more day after another day. Why am I here? Tell me the story. Remind me. And now I'm good. So you would then argue that the way to alter engagement or to increase engagement is actually to start telling the stories that have meaning. Absolutely. And here's the, totally, thousand percent, and here's the interesting thing about that, Wanda, and it's a little bit of a flip of a coin. The default condition, I believe, in most culture, most cultures, is that only a designated few the alpha male, the alpha female, the leaders, the people with the big titles, those who were there at the beginning have the stories to tell. And the other people are kind of, you know, meek and listening like, oh, I'm going to listen to, you know, his or her story. Well, sometimes that's absolutely fine. Some of those people are the carriers of the DNA and they do have the stories. But what I'm trying to get at in my book and in every interaction I have with people is that in that workforce, every single person has at least one, if not several, stories that have embedded within them that same DNA, those same qualities that are the make-or-break qualities for an organization, but all too often people don't value their stories, they haven't identified the stories, they don't know how to create the kind of listening that's required to be able to tell the stories in a meaningful way, and so those stories get sublimated, just like this planet could be powered by wind or solar energy, but we don't have enough panels up. The people are the panels in the organization, 
And I want to get them to reflect the sunlight that's within them of those powerful teaching stories and empower them and invite the leaders of that organization to create opportunities for the so-called rank and file to tell their stories to each other and keep each other on their game. That's that's like the geodesic dome of Buckminster Fuller when the structure is sound because it's everything connecting to everything except one thing connecting to the top of the pyramid. Okay, so again, this notion of the stories of what drives us and where's the passion and the feeling and that everybody, not just the few from the beginning or the alphas, um, have a story to tell and what they're craving is a way to tell that story. I want to give two, actually three examples, but let me just start with two from my own work. Um, one of my colleagues, Colin Rustin, is a master at getting warring parties within an organization to talk to each other. So think union and management, um, labor and leadership, whatever. One of the things that Colin does, though, in this work, and he says, I can get breakthrough once I can get managers to listen to the stories of the laborers and laborers to listen to the stories of the managers. Hallelujah. And so it's the same principle. I mean, he is, what he says is, I want people to understand who's showing up. But how you do that is by the story you tell about what's going on in your life and what's working and why it's not working, what we have in common, and so forth. Exactly. I want to do a second Absolutely. story. Okay. A second story, which I won't identify the company because it was years ago. But this particular company was working on its value statement. What are the values by which we're going to operate? And it wasn't going terribly well. It just felt flat, you know. I'm not wasn't driving this work, but I was part of the facilitation team. It just felt flat, and I got people to start telling me a story about when did we do this value that we've got up on the wall as a potential. Go off in a little group and tell me a story about that value. And the feeling, at least I had, I'm not sure everybody would agree with me, but the feeling I had out of that is in telling the story about a time in which we were customer-centric, for example, people began to believe that it really was part of us. That's right. Um, And those values then stuck for years. Yeah. Well, you know, it's like those roots go down beneath the level of the soil and people can't see them. And what you were doing, or the person that you were noting in your in your in your last reflection, was uh, tuning people in to uh, moments of light, moments what I call in my book moments of truth, examples. You know, sometimes businesses have this thing where they like to feature best practices, and that's understandable. And and in the eighties, there were the things called quality circles where people got together to share their ideas for how to be more efficient and effective. And so we get the fact that it's good to convene the council, to get the circle back together again. But what happens in that circle is all too often the sharing of, okay, modestly interesting, continuous improvement ideas that have some value. Okay, fine, good, I get it. But if you lift the veil another layer that's hiding beneath the continuous improvement stories, there are much, much deeper, much more powerful, much more memorable stories that your labor and non-labor people were trying to get at with each other that are the stories of, of, of human, human 
humanity, human being, the, the DNA of what does it take to be successful in a chaotic world or a company going through changes, stories of courage, stories of faith, stories of collaboration, stories of adaptability. That's the stuff I want, to, I want people to get at. That's the stuff that has the long tail. And if you tell those stories and activate those qualities which are in people but inert, and how you get them activated, very simply, not by sending them to a training on how to be adaptable, but is by telling the story of adaptability, succeeding, and then it activates that sleeping giant adaptability quotient, if you want to call it that, in the listener who then reflects on a moment in their life where they were adaptable and they were succeeding in that regard. Now they get back in touch with it. Now they can apply it to the present moment. So it's probably the most untapped human resource that a company has. And companies ritualistically and habitually think they've got to throw training at all this stuff and get people to read a whole bunch of three-ring binders when, in fact, if they did the skillful, timely, well-told telling of stories, they could activate these buried qualities of genius, creativity, adaptability, trust, and collaboration in a much less of an onerous and burdensome way. Okay, so much. I have to ask, I get your point that people believe, engage, and are literally, it's like the idea is ignited in them in a very meaningful way when there's a story that they relate to. I get that. Now, you're an innovations consultant, and I hear yeah. you talking about adaptability and culture and creativity and innovation and continuous improvement and so on. How did you get to the storytelling from the innovation side? Thank you for that question. Uh, About five years ago, uh, someone asked me what I did, and I gave them my regular sort of canned answer, and as I started to speak it out, I wasn't satisfied with my explanation of what I did. So I decided to um, dig a little deeper, and offline, I started to deconstruct actually what I did. If there was a periodic table of elements that I was tapping into to mix and mingle various elements to create compounds to have an impact and a fizz, what was it? What was I mixing together? And so I got down to a a finite core uh, set of things that I do and have done with small and large groups to activate innovation and to get people out of the box. When I looked at those, I was astounded that the one that kept coming back to me was storytelling. That storytelling, which had become to me buried or embedded in what I did, but not really honored, not featured, kind of hidden along with a bunch of other things as if it was a big bouillabaisse or a big soup. But as I started to look at where I had impact, it was when I told a story, I could see and feel and sometimes even hear a palpable shift in the room. People sat up, their eyes opened, I could see changes in body language and facial expression, the level of attentiveness, the willingness to stretch out and try new things. It was as if, you know, it's a kind of a rolfing, you know, where you have a pain or a knot that's buried in. You go to a chiropractor or a rolfer to untangle something that you have potential, but it's stuck. 
So when I told stories, this massive stuck energy would become unstuck in the room. Then I realized that I needed to actually pay more attention to storytelling and not uh, bury it in a bunch of other things I already did, but to actually feature it and to honor it. And so that's what was the driving force to get me to remember my own stories, my own moment of truth stories in the workplace that had impact and meaning, and then take the time and make the effort to actually write them out, reflect on what I learned, and then to do some research and some homework and to understand what is this big deal about story, kind of why we're having this conversation now, such that I can make it easy for people who did, whose life mission wasn't about storytelling, that I could make it easy for them to tap into their own stories and have the courage and willingness to be able to tell them, either in written form or in oral form. So it was a real-time, real-world epiphany on my part that story was really the catalyst for a, a group of sort of flatlined or ho-hum people who say they wanted to innovate, that it was the telling of the right story at the right time with the right processing of the story that activated their innate and buried capability to innovate and to think out of the box. That's what got me on fire. That's why I wrote the book. That's fabulous. So this has huge implications. You're talking about creating innovation, but that's just another form of a cultural change. The notion that you find the right story at the right time, told in the right way, and processed well, is what is going to ignite people to both understand why they're there, be engaged in what it is we're trying to do, believe that the change is possible, that another world is conceivable, and actively open their own capability. Yes, indeed. And I want to just double-click on a very powerful thing that you said, processed well. That's the key, because the easy thing to do is for a leader, a facilitator, a trainer, a speaker to tell a story. And it's often done in a way that's very routine and wrote like, hey, remember to tell a joke, remember to give him a little bit of your resume and tell a story. Then you got him. Well, okay, sort of. But if you can process without becoming overly didactic or overly badgering and professorial and dig into and elicit What is this story really about, folks? What does this mean to you? Why does this matter? How does this relate to your life in this organization? And give people a chance to reflect, either with a partner, in a small group, or full group. What you begin to discover is you get to a much deeper level of applicability and and transfer of meaning than you do if you're just telling the story such that people walk away and say something like, wow, he's a really good storyteller. That was entertaining. But the real, you know, bang for the buck is how does that story, what does it mean to me, and how can I extrapolate, elicit, and extract the value of that story and apply it to my life? That's where what you use the expression process, that's where that enters. And when that's done well, things get exponential in value rather than just geometric in value. So it's not just a story that's told. 
It's a story that has meaning to the issue at hand in the moment. Totally. And then a chance to and reflect on it. Okay? Absolutely. Now, there may be times when you only have time to tell the story and not dig in and process. That's fine. That'll also have value. But if you can wire your communication to allow for at least a little bit, in the book, you know, each story is followed by two sections. One section is called, So What?, and the next section is called Now What? And the So What section is my attempt in written form to get people to reflect on what the heck was that story about and why should I care and what does it mean to me? How do I translate it to my life? Because often a story has multiple meanings. To the storyteller, it has one meaning, but to the story listener, they interpret it slightly differently and it still has value because they're applying it to their life. The story, like type O blood Wanda, is the universal donor. It becomes something that allows people to dig into their own buried wisdom, own brilliance, and own insight and make sense of it. The story is the activator. Not the prescriber, it's the activator. Is the activator. I love that. Okay, we're going to take a break. With me today, Mitch Ditkoff. The book is Storytelling at Work. It's available on Amazon. It's available on Mitch's website at ideachampions.com. We're talking about why stories matter, how you use them to change the culture, to ignite people, to engage people. In fact, I'm starting to believe there isn't anything you can't accomplish as a leader without the right story at the right moment in time with the right processing. When we come back, I want to talk for just a few minutes on how to tell the story. Sort of what makes, what are the mechanics behind it for making a great story? We'll be right back. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. If you want more information on the coaching and seminars we offer, go to our website at www.leadershipforuminc.com. If you are interested in finding out more, you can also purchase a copy of the forthcoming book or any of Dr. Wallace's current books by clicking on the links under the resources tab on our website at www.leadershipforuminc.com. You're also sure to find some handy links, videos, and more to help you create a winning strategy for your organization. Leadership Forum, Inc., helping organizations get it and keep it. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. The business community's first choice in Internet Talk Radio, Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Out of the Comfort Zone. To reach Dr. Wanda Wallace or her guest, call into the program at 1 866 472 5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to wanda.wallace at leadershipforuminc.com. Now, back to Out of the Comfort Zone. 
Welcome back. With me today is Mitch Ditkoff. We're talking about storytelling and storytelling as a way, the right story at the right time with the right reflection and processing is a way to get attention, to ignite, to inspire, to create innovation, to get people to see the possible in things they didn't think were possible. Mitch, how do you tell a good story? That is a perfect question, Wanda, and I'm going to answer it in two ways. The first thing I'm going to say is this. Everybody who's listening to this interview already knows how to tell a good story. It is what psychologists refer to as an unconscious competence. We were born into a culture of storytelling. We grew up on fairy tales. Our parents or teachers told us these stories. We imbibed the structure uh, on a sort of like a subatomic level. It's in us. Our uh, concept of ourselves may be, oh, I'm not a good storyteller or I'm not a good speaker. And that's the story we tell ourselves, that we don't know how to tell stories. What I'm inviting people to consider is to consider the fact that they do know how to tell stories, and indeed, they are telling stories all the time to their friends over coffee, when they come back from work, when they recount the details of the day, when they share a recollection or a reminiscence of their youth. Those are all stories, and the structures of the stories are built in. It's just that people... You know, it's often said, we don't know what we don't know. So they don't know what they, what they know in this case. But I'll put that aside for a moment. So one is, please, folks, don't think you don't know how to tell stories. You do. Number two is, if you want to deconstruct what a story is, if those who are left-brained and analytical and scientific, I'm going to make it very simple for them. There are five elements to a story. Not a hundred, five. There's the setting, okay? This is where the story takes place. This, it takes place in an office, in a coffee shop, at a movie theater, on another planet. Those are the science fiction stories. So you need to have a setting that is meaningful and people care about. The second element of a story is character, often known as the protagonist. Somebody we care about. Earlier in this interview, I talked about the, the, the need for that character to have a vulnerability because everybody who goes on a journey or a hero's journey has a vulnerability. They have a weakness. They have something to learn. And it's that weakness and something to learn that makes them accessible to the listener. So the second element is character. The third is plot. What happens? What's the arc of the story? You know, what are the, what are the chapters, if you will? What's the sequence of events? And how those are wired together, of course, can be skillful or non-skillful, but there's got to be a plot. Number four, there's got to be a conflict. There's got to be a problem. <laughs> there's got to be a, a monster. There's got to be a demon. There's got to be something to overcome. Without an obstacle, you don't have a story. You just have a recounting of events of the day, and it's boring. So you've got to have a conflict. And the fifth thing, you need a resolution, that that conflict has to be overcome. Sometimes spoken of as theme, or what we spoke about earlier in the other segment was the pro- processing. So what about this? Why does this matter? What did the hero or the heroine learn? 
So when those five are in place, and I would say most people who tell a story intuitively know this, they're doing it anyway. Those are the five elements. Everyone already knows how to tell a good story, and those people who want to tell better stories, there are lots of books on the topic, and there's also my book on the topic called Storytelling at Work. What I want to invite listeners to do is, first of all, do more listening. Start with listening. Don't worry about telling your stories to start with. Actually listen. Be there to listen to other people's stories, and you'll get what storytelling is about and make it safe for people to tell their stories so then you can actually practice listening because without listening, there is no storytelling. If a tree falls in a forest and there's no one around to hear it, did it fall? If someone tells a story and there's no one around to listen, was there a story? So definitely practice listening and also start to identify those stories that you have passion for because even a modestly good storyteller or even a mediocre storyteller, if they're passionate about the story, that is going to overcome whatever technical difficulties they might have in storytelling because their passion for the story is going to save the day. I love that. I, I, when you get that passion there, you get that natural excitement, the rest just sort of seems to happen. You know, we do tons of classes on executive presence and gravitas and all that jazz, but fundamentally, if you would get more comfortable with telling the story that you have the passion about, I suspect all of it would come naturally. Mitch, the last comment I want to make is it strikes me that it takes a great deal of courage in a content data-driven world to pull back from that and to tell the story. Any advice about having courage? Well, yeah. First of all, start small. Uh, Don't stand in front of a thousand people and start telling your stories. Start one-to-one. Success breeds success. As you start to tell your stories and start to see the feedback, which is, I'm going to predict is going to be positive because the listeners are going to go, wow, I never knew that. Hey, that's cool. Oh, that reminds me of a story. Hey, you should tell Jenny that story. So it starts to proliferate and build a sense of can do, which builds courage because you're getting positive feedback. So that's number one. And the second thing is, yes, it takes courage, but if you actually realize that the goal here is for impact, And if you get the fact that you can deliver more meaning, more value, more purpose, more behavior change with the telling of a story, then the data-driven, fact, statistic, pep talk mode, that all of a sudden it's not a matter of courage anymore. It's a a matter of practicality. (laughs) Well, this works, so why not do it? And, okay, I don't have a lot of practice at doing it. It's a muscle that hasn't been used. But if I start small, one-on-one, with my team, with my friends, over coffee, don't take a risk that's too soon, too far, too fast, then the courage starts to come to you because you actually get that you have this gift, you have the skill, and people are relating. Fabulous, Mitch. I love it. Mitch Ditkoff. From Idea Champions, the book is Storytelling at Work, How Moments on the Job Reveal the Real Business of Life. 
available at Mitch's website and on Amazon. And again, I can tell you it is packed with examples of stories that you can use to pattern in your own work and give you a bit of a a way of telling it, reminding you the story to tell. I just want to re-echo here. I think what's so powerful about this for me is if you want people to build trust, if you want to change a culture, if you want to change leadership behaviors, if you want innovation, if you want people to be excited and engaged, you tell the story. That is what draws people in and gets them alive and alert and moving. So, Mitch, thank you for today. It's inspiring. My pleasure. Thank you, Wanda. Okay, next week, we're going to continue a tad bit on this theme, but in a slightly different way. We're going to talk with Ray Thompson, a communication specialist, and the focus is going to be around engaging people when the stakes are really high, when somebody's angry, mad, frustrated, emotions are running, and it's either a peer or even your CEO. How do you do that? Join us next week. Thank you again for joining us for Out of the Comfort Zone. Tune in again for another edition with Dr. Wanda Wallace next Friday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time and 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Take charge this week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.